We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. We have very helpful new bulletins this week. So if you're in the room, if you would turn to this page with our sermon notes, and we're going to read aloud together Mark 1, 1 through 8. And so if you're watching on TV, we're, we're about to read Mark 1, 1 through 8, and you can read along with us as well. Uh, those of us in the room, let, let's stand and let's read this aloud. <clears throat> this then is the text for today. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. You'll see from our reading today that we have moved to our next study. For the last couple of months, we have been in the book of Daniel, and we have completed the book of Daniel, and now we're moving into a topical study of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll move uh, various texts throughout the New Testament on the Holy Spirit for the next 13 weeks through the summer. And so we're, we're looking forward to that. And today we begin in the beginning of the Gospels. Mark 1, Mark 1, 1 through 8. But for our text and for the, the sermon today, I want us to hear from John 3. He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. It's not something that you hear often. It's not something that you see in sport. Athletes are praised when they fight for themselves even in team sports. It's not something that you hear in the corporate world. It's all, that's all a competition for the, the next big promotion or the next big raise. He must increase, I must decrease. It's something that you rarely hear in families either. Most of our families end up looking more like Cain and Abel. Life is a fight for me. Life is a fight for one. We tell ourselves that no one is going to fight for us, and that's a lie. We tell ourselves that we have to go out and we have to get it on our own, that it's up to me, that if I don't go out and take it, if I don't grab life by the horns, then somebody else is going to get it, whatever it is. This is what we've been taught, and it's never been right. Right? 
He must increase, I must decrease. That is the only way this life works. We do have to be careful here on the he, though. He must increase. And this he is not just any random he. This is not an admonition for all of us to give up on life. This is not just a call for us to get run over or let others run over us in life. This doesn't mean that you should always lose the race or always defer to your brother. But there's a very specific call in this he must increase and I must decrease. You see, this always means that you will defer to Jesus Christ. That no matter what happens in life, that no matter what we face, no matter what is in front of us, we will always defer to Jesus Christ and say, He is Lord. You know, we forget that even that statement, Jesus Christ is Lord, is a protest in and of itself. It is a reminder that we answer to no one other than Jesus Christ. There is no one on this world that we answer to other than Jesus Christ himself. He is our Lord. He is the one that must increase, I must decrease. Whatever ego that I find in myself, whatever the flesh calls out of me must be set aside. Where I hand my life and my priorities over to Jesus Christ, I always defer to him. John the Baptist gives us a beautiful example at the beginning of the Gospels. In fact, in our text today, Mark 1, uh, John the Baptist defers to his cousin, Jesus Christ. You know, we're introduced to John the Baptist, and, and we see in this text, and this is what we often remember about him, is, is all of his frontier ways. The things that stand out to us about John the Baptist are the, the locusts and the honey, the camel's hair, the, the belt, these things that kind of set him apart from society. But you need to hear the other side of the story of who John the Baptist was. You see, as the story unfolds, you can easily miss that John the Baptist is the most profound prophet in 400 years. John the Baptist has the most successful ministry on the face of the earth at this point. Thousands of people are coming out to see and hear and know what John the Baptist is preaching and teaching, saying all of Judea, all of Jerusalem is coming out to hear what John the Baptist has to say and they were being baptized by him and crowds of people I mean he's gathering these and has the most successful ministry that anybody at that time had seen and you know for so often many of us ministers it's, it's natural when good things start to happen that that our head gets bigger not just our hair but our head gets bigger It's natural for us to, to think that the ministry must be about us or we must be doing something different or good or holy. A pastor can readily think that the church won't go on without him, but not John the Baptist. John the Baptist was continually pointing people away from himself, saying, don't, don't look at me, don't look at my ministry, don't look at the things that are happening here because there's something greater at, store, uh, at work here. There's something greater in store in the person of the Christ. He was saying, if, if you see there's, there's something powerful here, if you think there's something beautiful in this ministry, wait until you see the Christ. Because as the Christ comes and as his work is done, I, I just fall flat on my face. 
I'm not, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I'm not worthy to sweep up the floor after him. I'm not worthy to be in his presence. There is one who is coming in the Christ who is greater than anything that we have ever seen before. He is the one who must increase. I have to decrease. And you know, this is where we, we, we must find ourselves today. That whatever we're wanting to do, or whatever we find ourselves wanting to be, if the flesh is sort of bubbling these things up within us, they have to be set aside and put aside where we are decreased and the Christ is increased. You know, I know that you were just like me. And, and I've heard some of these because we all have all kinds of ways to fix the coronavirus. We have all kinds of ways to fix the racial issues. But let me assure you, we don't need anybody else giving us their opinion on how to fix things. We don't need another media survey to tell us how to fix things. We don't need activists to tell us how to fix things. You don't even need a preacher to tell you how to fix things anymore. All of us must decrease and Jesus Christ must increase. It's he alone that is held up as the answer to the ills of life. You see, this is what life is about. We defer our own preferences and opinions, our plans and our priorities, and we hand them over to Jesus Christ. And we say, I must decrease. He must increase. And so that the scales just completely tip in favor of the Christ in our lives where we give up our dreams for the sake of the Messiah. We, we give up our hope and our schedules for Jesus Christ himself. He must increase. I must decrease. You know, we miss all this in John 3. When we think about John chapter 3, usually the first thing that comes to our mind is for God so loved the world. And that's good. And, and that's, that's true. We, we should think of that. But there's more. Or some of us, when we think of John chapter 3, we see a picture of Nicodemus. There's more than Nicodemus here. Look, look down with me at the rest of John 3. So look with me, John 3, 27 through 30. And this is where we get our refrain for the morning. So John answers and says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. So don't miss that. Maybe you need to underline that. Every good and perfect gift is from above, right? We, we don't have anything. It all comes from the hand of God. So that's verse 27. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride, uh, who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. So John's saying, my ministry is a ministry of joy. And so this joy of mine has been made full. And then verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. John 3.30. After we learn and memorize John 3.16, maybe we need to learn and memorize John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease. And this starts in this humility that all that we have Anything good that's in our life, the, the things that we hold, the things that we possess, our family, the, the things that have happened and have been good to us, it all is from heaven. 
And we need to thank God for those good things in our lives. And, and thanksgiving helps us decrease. See, it's one of those things that, that sets this up where it moves us from us thinking we are greater than God in some way. And as we begin to thank him, it shifts and we begin to see all of these things that have happened in my life and the things that I have and all the good came from God himself. It's not because of me. It's not because I'm strong or because I'm smart or my hands have done something. It's because God is good. And so we thank him. Thanksgiving helps us decrease. And when we acknowledge this as fact, that it's from God, Jesus Christ begins to increase. You give glory to the name of God for all that is. Let's look at another text, John 16. This is John 16, verses 7 through 11. This is Jesus telling about, talking to us about what's next. This is Jesus helping us understand as the church what we're going to be facing because even in those days as Jesus is speaking, his disciples are scared. They're scared about the world. They're scared about their nation. They're scared about what's going to happen next. In fact, they're fearful of real persecution coming upon them. They, they don't know what the future holds. In fact, it all looks very uncertain at the moment. And li listen to what Jesus tells them. So John 16, 7 through 11. I tell you the truth. As Jesus speaking, I'm telling you the truth. It's your advantage that I go away. So he's going to ascend into heaven. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin. So this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. Convicts the world of the sins of the world. And righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, this is verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. You see, this, this increase of Jesus in our life today is the coming of the Holy Spirit. In, in Mark 1.8, we're told that Jesus is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And this is a continual dying of self so that we're renewed and filled up with the Holy Spirit of God. A huge part of you decreasing and Jesus Christ increasing is exactly what we find here. The work of the Spirit is to convict of sin in each of our hearts, in each of our lives. This is a picture of you submitting yourself to the Spirit of God and letting the Spirit of God search out evil that has planted itself in the cracks of your heart. Now, this word is not for them. This word is for you. This word is for us. This word is for the church. There are places where evil has come into the cracks, and we need to hand that over to God. You decreasing is an acknowledgement that evil has found its way into your subconscious, into your mind, and it needs to be removed at the hand of God. And, and not, not one of us is immune to this. All of us have faced this real evil plaguing our hearts and our minds that can only be removed by the hand of God. It was only Jesus who was perfect. It was only Jesus who withstood every temptation. We have fallen flat. You see, it was only Jesus Christ who was perfect, and that's why we have to decrease, and he must increase. Look, at, there's one more text I'd like us to look at this morning, 1 Corinthians 2. So if you turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 
through 13. We're going to look at a little bit more here on the work of the Holy Spirit. And this, this same thing, for the next 13 weeks, we're going to look at a number of different passages that cover the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll, we'll see these through the next 13 weeks. But, but here, one of these on what the Holy Spirit is doing. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 13. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words." We, we need to hear this morning that our wisdom is not sufficient. The wisdom of the world, the wisdom of humanity is insufficient. And one of the difficult things for us is the way this world works and the truth of creation and, and the way things fall into place is often counterintuitive. I mean, from our vantage point, the world looks flat Everything seems so murky because we can't see with our limited vision and our minds are so limited in our understanding that we can't see clearly. And you know, we're, we're too quick to assess the world and think we understand. And so often in our 20s, we think we've got it all figured out. We think, I've, I've got this world set. And then we realize we don't. But then we come to our 70 years or 80 years if we have the strength and we think we know what we're talking about. And we may have learned a couple of things here and there, but whatever we have learned comes from God himself and his word. See, we have to understand that, that wisdom is found in the word of God and, and from the heart of God and his spirit. This is where we find the way forward. If we, if we look at the Bible, there's some 3,000 plus years of history written down for us to learn from. And we know that God himself is eternal in, in whatever we think, that whatever we think we've learned from our few decades on earth, it's minuscule compared to the wisdom of God. And all of that is to say, he's the one that has to increase, I must decrease, I don't know enough. My wisdom is not sufficient, but by the Spirit of God, we can hear and know the ways forward. He must increase. I must decrease. You see, there's nothing that I have learned that is helpful to God. You're not going to slip God a nugget of truth that he was unaware of. There's no what-if scenario that you can lay before God that will cause him to think. You have to trust God today. He is the one that can see a thousand years ahead of us. He's the one that can see a thousand years behind us. He, he is the one who holds the eternal truths of life. And so if we want to know a way forward, we have to decrease in and of ourselves and trust his wisdom and say, God, give us the answers that we need today. We need to trust his word as eternal truth. And if there's anything in our experience that contradicts the ways or word of God, we have to trust him. We have to trust his word. You defer to God, not your own whims or your own understanding. He must increase, I must decrease. And there are countless ways that this should seep into our lives. I mean, it's happening now. 
And from the time that this service is over, we should be resolved to subject our wills unto Jesus Christ himself. Jesus should be getting more time and credit every day of our existence. And the more credit and time Jesus Christ gets, the better it will be for us. You see, as his kingdom advances, the ills and pain of this earth are set aside for his glory. His peace comes in his kingdom. It's for our betterment, for him to be glorified. He must increase, I must decrease. We praise the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, as we wait upon you, we know that we are insufficient. We know that this world is incomplete without you. And so, Lord, we, we ask this morning to, for you to come, move in our hearts, speak to our hearts. Give us a pure and holy way forward. Absent of sin and prejudice. But holy and good. So Lord, would you come? Rip the evil out of our hearts and our minds and replace it with the soft and soothing work of your spirit to make things right. We trust you, Father. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.